0: Howdy folks, this is Scott Parker, and you're listening to another episode of the Zapcast, the official Frank Zappa Podcast. And with me as always is, live from Oakland, our producer, Bill Circus.
1: Hey Scott, how's it going?
0: Hey. And of course, the Zappa casts, hero of the week, month, and year, and maybe of all time, the producer. The producer? The Ballmeister! The executive producer. Yeah. The executive producer of the Zapcast. And the Vaultmeister, Sir Joseph Travers, ladies and gentlemen <laughs> Woo, nice. Woo. that was kind of a big deal. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's pretty great. <laughs> you you've recently been knighted.
1: <laughs> oh man. I think like he needs to have a, a middle name, a fourth name, Joe Vaultmeister, Rainmaker Travers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> My middle name is William. Really? Yeah, William. I didn't know that. I'll have to remember that. So next I would say Sir Joseph William Travers.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And as you can see, you guys can't see by my shirt, but this is the only podcast where the more you know, the more you suffer. And uh <laughs> nice. <laughs> and the reason that you're gonna be suffering with along with us, folks, is that we've got a boatload of information to share with you. Uh, This is
2: probably going to be one of, of a few in a series of podcasts devoted to the ultimate dissection and analyzation of a certain Frank Zappa project, which our host Scott Parker has obsessed on forever to the point where, you know, Scott Parker is responsible for writing some pretty comprehensive and interesting books throughout the years on Frank Zappa.
0: And didn't you devote one to this topic? I did. I devoted an entire one. And thank you for, for the shout out there, Joe. I, oh, uh, well, of course. I mean, you know, yeah, this project is my Zappa holy grail. We've decided, and specifically Joe decided, that we should do a really deep dive into this. And I can't say thank you enough for that. But this is a project that Frank initially put together in 1969 That was going to take the form of a 12-LP box set initially, folks. And uh, it is absolutely my Zappa holy grail. It was called The History and Collected Improvisations of the Mothers of Invention.
2: Not to be confused with the bootleg that came out. Because it was confusing. Because I remember not knowing that much about this project way back when. And seeing the bootleg. And I was like, this is it. But actually it's not it. It's It doesn't have really anything to do with Frank's intention, other than the fact that the bootleggers took the name, used it for a box set, and then just you know released a bunch of stuff, right?
0: Well, that box, the 10 LP box, came out around 1978, and it was just filled with, for the most part, really terrible quality audience recordings of shows, you know, but it had no relationship whatsoever to do with this box. And I think the important thing that people need to know a hard and fast truth about this set is that we don't know what was on it because Frank took the tapes and cut them up. Would that be fair to say? Oh, I'll get into that in a second, but yeah,
2: I I think you should continue because you were saying that it started out as a 12 LP box in 69,
0: but that's not it folks. That is not it because it shrunk to a nine LP set. It was rejigged in 1971. And then it sort of gradually got smaller and smaller because basically what happened was Warner Brothers, who distributed Bizarre and Straight, they didn't want to pay Frank for the publishing on these things. So, And they were very dubious about whether or not there was any real, not only commercial potential, but if there was any market whatsoever or a multi-disc retrospective package, even of what would have been at the time entirely unreleased music. So I think that one of the problems that Frank had with Warners going down the stretch was he wanted to release this as late as 1975, and they just weren't having it. It did go through several variations. Uh, Frank sort of realized the concept with you can't do that on stage anymore. But that was pretty much entirely live recordings. And this set would have been a mixture of live recording studio outtakes, home recordings, you know, various uh, the, the kind of tape recordings you would do on the road, that kind of thing. And it's a fascinating project. And of the original 1969 box we have available to us, approximately three sides of the 24 sides. And uh, assuming that it belongs to that set, but I I think there's a pretty good argument that could be made there for that. And, you know, the, the stuff we have is a mixture of stuff that was subsequently released, but intriguingly, there's plenty of stuff on there that hasn't. And so you could imagine times 24 sides, you know, how much stuff we haven't heard. But Joe has, maybe.
1: Scott, (laughs) I I want to try to kind of set this up for the listeners and kind of put it in perspective. A lot of us have heard the bootleg, have heard of this, Mm -hmm. you know, and have heard uh, a lot of the tracks that have been released. But when you think of the set, the uh, 1969-70 iteration, do you Mm -hmm. think of it kind of like Frank's Smile by the Beach Boys or his Lifehouse by Pete Townsend? Like like something he had it in his mind at that time. And because it was so hard to put out, it kept getting morphed into different projects and and changed.
0: Absolutely, I do. Yeah, that's the great unreleased, for example, project. In whatever form, you know, like you choose to the 75 version or the 71 version or the 69 version, and they're all different. But yeah, it's absolutely his great unreleased masterwork.
1: So we know... These 24 sides were actually put together, and that's been confirmed?
0: Basically, what we have are three sides. One was a one-sided acetate, which is clearly labeled the weasel music, which we know was one of the titles of the individual albums in the 12 LP set because Frank mentioned this in Rolling Stone magazine. Oh, it's got to be true. During the, you know the interview he gave around the time of the breakup of the Mothers in 69. So we know that's confirmed. Now the other acetate which is known in collector circles as the Artisan acetate because that's where it was cut, right Joe? Right. It was cut there. Uh it does not bear a title, but it does bear a catalog number and that catalog number I believe is RS6406 for Reprise stereo 6406 and that is just about 100 catalog numbers after hot rats so it's right around that time so i have to say
2: this this is just another example of how frank was just always ahead of the curve because box sets are so common these days and here we have frank totally (laughs) focusing on a box set as, as as early as the late 60s, mm. when that market didn't even exist, no. you know, and Warner's bulked at box sets throughout Frank's career. He always had like lather, leather, leather, you know, like that was a box set and that got flack. So, you know, it just makes so much sense that Frank would be thinking in these terms. Uh, And it's just funny how it took so long for the industry to catch up to
1: <laughs> where what he was doing. I mean just 3 or 4 years before, you know, the a, a double album was groundbreaking, you yeah. know. Yeah. Freak was yeah. ground and just a few years later he's like <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll more than yeah. double it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Were there any other pop artists at the time doing anything like a box set?
0: Well, there were a couple of things. There was um it's definitely not the same thing um donovan had from a get from a flower to a garden that was a i believe a three lp box set Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: george harrison had all things must pass of course which was also a three lp box set but you would not i mean you know at the time the thought of a 12 lp box set by anybody would have probably have been seen as commercial suicide right so i love it So, yeah, there is zero precedent for this.
2: Well, let me let me put some things in perspective. First of all, before we start getting heavy duty into this, right, (laughs) Phil, I suggest that the next statement that I make, you put massive amounts of reverb and maybe (laughs) maybe maybe even a delay on the effect. Are you ready? Here we go. This is for the listeners out there that is listening to the Zappa cast and is thinking to yourself, what is this going to be about? Are you ready? Hit the effects, Phil. Here we go.
0: Get ready for the ultimate Zappa nerd fest. Okay.
2: And now that we have set the stage, (laughs) we have a famous box set that started out as a 12 LP box in 69 and then morphed into a smaller iteration in 1971 you're saying yes and then an even smaller iteration a little bit later than that Mm -hmm. okay so
0: we have
2: acetates yes we have interviews yes right okay now what i have to put into this conversation is unseen by human eyes in the past you know how many friggin' years 40 years or whatever are acetates that live in the vault of this project, right? Yeah. So of which there are very few, but we do have some. Also, we have tape boxes in the vault with the titles of these album projects. Like, you know how all the, you know, like, show and tell. Yes. uh, Shut the front door, Joe. Shut the front door. (laughs) 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 So, like, show and tell, uh, the Orange County lumber truck, You know, all these different titles of the each individual LPs we have in the vault. I say we because, you know, it's Frank's fault. But I've seen tape boxes on the spine with those names. But every one of those tape boxes that I've ever found, it's either empty or it's crossed out. Oh, So the material never stayed in that sequence on a reel of tape for long. Once this project that we're talking about, this history and collected, once the plan ended up not materializing to his vision, as we know, he repurposed the master tapes for so many other things. I mean, yep. he was always as part of the project object, he was always shifting things around and and manipulating audio from one thing to another and coming up with other sequences that could be for other projects even outside of this particular project that we're about to, you know, analyze because it was just a constant work in progress. So even though this stuff lived in this configuration during these times that we're about to talk about, these are literally little windows of history and then it morphed. And as we know, some of this stuff, a lot of this stuff ended up on the, you can't do that on stage anymore series. And we're going to get into that. And as you had mentioned earlier, the You Can't Do That On Stage Anymore series is really an extension of another concept project that Frank started in the mid-70s, uh, in a, which, which was just a four-sided thing called Impossible Concerts, yes. mm. Okay, which is a great name because if you think about it, it's all sorts of different bands from all sorts of different venues through all sorts of different years morphed together and edited together to play as one piece. Which is completely impossible, so that's where that came from. Yes. But you can't do it on stage anymore. Is a massive extension of that project, and then elements of this project that we're talking about morphed into that. Very typical yes. of Frank to be, <laughs> you know, very typical. So that's what we have. And then lastly, what we have, what we have as arsenal for this conversation, is the documents that were conjured up by a fan. Uh, who will go nameless at this point, uh, <laughs> from an auction, right? Mm-hmm. And at this point, I'm looking at that document now as as we speak, and um, the first page of it says Volumes 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3, with the r- years ranging from 1957 to 1972. Mm-hmm. And this was a total of 18 sides at this point. So we're talking about 51 years ago this project had come from a 60s 12 LP to a 19 at least 1972 could be 73 18 sides so are you with me on that Yeah absolutely beautiful I'm on top of it so we have <laughs> this document and this document gives us complete notes that Frank wrote titles of compositions Titles of the albums, the intent of the project at that point.
1: I, I want to um, ask you a quick question. Going back to the tape boxes in the vault, Joe. Yeah, I wanted to clarify whether they have the name of the what the albums were going to be called, or do you have what the intended track listings were for? So
2: there are instances, and I, I would have to, you know, look at the tape boxes to really tell you for sure. But what I remember is there are instances where you'll have a tape box and on the side spine it'll be in frank's handwriting it'll say show and tell and then there'll be a big marker that goes through it mm-hmm. right oh. and then if you look at the back of the tape box sometimes it will have the contents and sometimes it'll just say show and tell 15 ips master frank zappa bizarre production side one and that's it. Okay. That's it. Wow. Okay. And that's all it'll say. Or so whatever side. It would never say history and collected improvisations, disc four, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. Like it wouldn't get into that at all. Okay. No. So it's my opinion that these were possible records on their own that got put into this box set. Mm-hmm. Like, you know him. Sure. He was, he was, he had so much content. Yeah. And you just never knew what, what this stuff was going to be and where it was going to go. Yeah. But. There are times when you'll find a tape box and then on the back it'll have a sequence with titles that ended up getting switched when it got released. Like a lot of that shit. What I was thinking, Scott, is for the second time we do this or whatever, however far we get, I can tell you what the contents of the acetates from the vault are. Okay. So that'll help us. (laughs) Yeah. So that'll... So that'll really get us into that, but we can start dissecting into this right now, and then, and we'll go track by track, and you know we can say, okay, we know what this is, we think we know what this is, and if you don't know, I can tell you what I think it is from my uh, history of knowing what the titles are in the vault and all that stuff. Excellent. And we can say this was eventually released on whatever, 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 and then we can just keep on going, and that's the whole thing. We are going to really dive
0: deep. One thing I'm going to read to you really quick before we start. I wanted to read you this, which is from an interview with Barry Miles, uh, everybody's favorite music writer guy uh, from 1970. It says Frank has a Scully 282 track and a TAC T-Act AT200U connected by a wall-mounted patchboard. He also has thousands of tapes, mostly on NAB spools, NAB spools. So, They are labeled, and he gives a few of the titles, Merely Entertaining, which would be the Merely Entertaining Mother's Adventure. And and I've seen that. I've seen that in the vault. Yeah. Yes. Soup and Old Clothes, number one. Seen that in the vault, too. Yep. Rustic Protrusion, number two. Nice. The Mad Gummer, number two, which is not a title that was associated with the box set that I know of. The Kookamanga Era, number two. Criteria Right There Bunk, which is... Obviously, the right there piece and finale, you know, and so forth, it says. So as of 1970, these tapes probably existed with actual tape in them, folks. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so so jumping on to the 1971 version.
2: What is the 1971 version? That's not the document that, that we is have, the document right?
0: That we have. Yep.
2: No, because the document we have goes to 72
0: does it go up to seventy two?
2: Yeah, because it says volumes one, two, and three, nineteen fifty seven to nineteen seventy two.
0: Right, eighteen sides. So he probably assembled this while he was in the wheelchair. Could be. That could be. There
2: was sessions that happened in late seventy two. I'm talking like right before the Petit Wazoo thing happened. Frank brought in Dave Parlato, Ernie Watts. John Guerin and Jean-Luc Ponty into Paramount Studios for a late night jam. Wow. And record and recorded the whole thing. Mm. And canard du jour, which is on shut up and play your right. guitar that comes from that. And there's a bunch of stuff in the vault that was never released from those sessions. And so if any of that stuff is on this, then we know that it was very late 72 or early 73 that he actually put this stuff together. But if it's not, then it was before those sessions. This is how how dirty (laughs) we're getting. I love it. All right, so let's backtrack, and I will let you lead the way, Scott. And I will just interject if I know any viable information per track, per title,
0: anything. So, everybody, strap yourselves in. It's going to be a lot. Here time. we go. <laughs> <laughs> and here's one little thing I want to interject before we start diving in here collectors have actually had two of the 18 sides for decades because there's a bootleg that was originally called Necessity Is. It came out in 1979 on the Mud Shark label. Uh, it was reissued by the same label as Rustic Protrusion and then came out again in 1985 on the fake bizarre label under the title We Are the Mothers and This Is What We Sound Like, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be familiar with. That is two sides of this set, sides one and four specifically. The thing is, is that sequence mm. does not exist on tape like that
2: oh. after. Af- a- so Frank ripped all that shit apart. It's crazy. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it's just crazy so this again that just proves that the history and and collected improvisations of the mothers of invention was what it was at that time and it never stayed that way nope it never did it it completely got you know shifted around and morphed around all through the years and so to actually put this stuff back together and by the way the mixes are different that's frank mm, always point He, yes, he always treated stuff differently. So the way in which the stuff lives now on on releases that we are familiar with, like you can't do that on stage anymore, in any of the vault stuff that Frank put together, like the lost episodes mm-hmm. and things like that. Those mixes are in some cases exclusive to those releases because they sounded different uh, on these earlier versions that we're about to talk about. So there is a viable case that if we wanted to actually re you know, reassemble all of this stuff digitally, it would be interesting to find the very source materials and not the remixes or sonically treated versions so that it did reflect what this was in 1972 or 69. So that's, you know, it's a massive task. It is, but it could be done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Starting with Volume 1, Origins and Comparisons. Now, this first side, we have all of as side one of We Are the Mothers and This Is What We Sound Like, etc. But more importantly,
2: let's talk about where it now exists track by track. You know, what? how could people hear this stuff if it's available? So,
0: Yeah, and this first track is a good example of what you were saying when you were saying Frank treated things differently. So some of these tracks... Were released, but with added reverb, or you know, That's whatever, right. and they weren't flat like they are on on the bootleg on the acetate from the acetate.
1: And Zappacast listeners, just letting you know, we'll link you to this document in in the show notes, yes, so you can play along with us.
0: Yeah, go for it. It's the Zappacast home game. Oh boy, <laughs> I love it. All right, so starting off with "Lost in a Whirlpool," the earliest recording. Of Frank Zappa, and not only that, but the earliest recording of uh, Bob Zappa and Captain Beefheart. from Yes, Don Van Vliet. Don Van Vliet, recorded at, uh, I think, in a, in a room at the high school that they were attending. So this would be That's 1958. Right. Of course, eventually released on the Lost Episodes, treated with reverb, but it is longer on the Lost Episodes than it is on the original acetate, so... This is where things get weird,
2: <laughs> and that's going to be very typical. You know, uh, longer versions or shorter versions, depending on project. So, yeah,
0: absolutely. Because the document that we're talking about also has a timing sheet, but it's um, two minutes nine seconds on the the nineteen seventy two ass tape, and uh, two minutes forty six seconds on the lost episode. So, this kind of stuff happened all the time. Then we get The Blackouts, which, um, again, was treated with a little bit of reverb and released on the Lost Episodes, but is the same length. Ronnie Williams Sings, one minute and ten seconds, yeah, released on the Lost Episodes as Ronnie Sings.
1: And boy, does he. He does.
0: I thought forever that that was Beefheart. Sounds like him. Oh, yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah, Ronnie and Kenny were friends of Frank's early on, right? And so, uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely tapes in the vault of Frank interviewing those guys and, and, you know, jamming with them and being silly and, and all that stuff. Longtime friends of Frank's
0: back then. And that's what makes this whole section here. Some of, well, I think all three of these pieces have been released on the lost episodes. So Ronnie sings, and then you've got Kenny Williams describes Ronnie's booger window Which, uh, you know, if you're familiar with Let's Make the Water Turn Black or, you know, the stories that Frank tells about Kenny and Ronnie in the real Frank Zappa book, you will know exactly what that is. And, of course, that was released on The Lost Episodes. And it's a little longer on the acetate version. It's 48 seconds as opposed to the released 33 seconds. So really, really geeky version, you know info here but i love love
1: that one because it sounds like frank is uncontrollably cracking up as he talks to this guy
0: (laughs) i mean you know obviously the clarity on the released versions are better but you know the reverb you know take it or leave it you know kind of thing let's see ronnie williams explains his collection released on the lost episodes as ronnie's booger story that last track by the way was released as kenny's booger story Looks like the same length of between the two. Uh Ray Collins and the Booger Freaks of America, not released officially. Mm, okay. Well, I definitely found this in the vault. You did? Yeah. And you know, it's typical too
2: because, like, um, you know, Frank, Frank was making, you know, a lot of fun tapes during this time. Like him and Ray would be making silly tapes and <laughs> funny tapes, and him and his wife Kay were making funny tapes and silly tapes. So, this is a small excerpt from some of the fun tapes that he was making with Ray, where they would be doing these sketches. And some of it ended up on the album Joe's Christmas song. Yes. As Suck It, Suck It Rocket.
1: Well, anyway, the, our interview tonight
0: concerns Suck It Rocket and the time he got screwed by a small independent
1: record company in Hollywood. Well, Suck It. I don't want to talk about it. Oh, I thought you were asking me about my first name. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> so. Ray Collins and the Booger Freaks of America, that, uh, I found that.
2: Yeah, I definitely found that.
1: So I, I feel like anytime we get to a track that is unreleased that you have, I'm going to insert, I don't know, like a, a victory bell, a victory <laughs> <horror>. Yes, yes. <laughs> we have a winner. Something.
0: Well, a lot of this early stuff we do, we do have, so you're not going to use that one that much, but, oh, by the way, before we go off the Ray Collins piece, how much of that is there? Do you remember, Joe? Yeah, there's a significant amount.
2: Yeah, really? It's pretty, so it's yeah,
0: just a short little one minute twenty second excerpt of a longer tape. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh god, you have the best job in the world. <laughs> anyway, the um, anyway, the wind blows, which is the kookamanga era version of "Anyway the Wind Blows," released on the Lost Episodes in an edited version two fourteen on the Lost Episodes, as opposed to two minutes fifty two seconds on the acetate. And this is one of the tracks, by the way, that Frank played to uh, David Wally, the author of No Commercial Potential, the first Frank Zappa biography, first English one. He played him uh, a sequence that I guess would be from this set, it seems like. So uh, mm-hmm. that's two minutes, 24 seconds. So it really it reflects the timing on the uh, acetate bootleg. Okay, then Fountain of Love, the Cucamaga uh, version. Now that's released, right? Am I correct? You are correct. It's on the it's at lost episodes. Fountain of Love. Uh, then, of course, Opus Five, which is a little bit longer here, um, which is Mount Saint Mary's performance, right? Yes. Now this is a good opportunity to ask you, Joseph. What is there from Mount Saint Mary's? Because I know somebody gave him a cassette of the radio broadcast. No, we have reel to reel. You do, yeah.
2: And we, I think we, I'm pretty sure we have the entire thing. Yeah. The person that was responsible for recording that I was actually in touch with in the nineties.
0: Carlos Hagen. Yes. 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 You get a bell for that too, <laughs> Scott. <Yes. laughs> How do I know these things? I don't know. That was given to Frank,
2: you know, a really, really, really long time ago. So, so it's real.
0: Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, um, I don't know. Would it be one of those things that, you know, like in a perfect world would be releasable? I think it's interesting uh, for his for historical sake. I mean, especially the classical side
2: or the serious music side of Frank Zappa. You know, it could be a, a worthy inclusion for an overview of Frank as a serious music composer. You know, I think that uh, it's early roots. It's pretty cool. So, uh, I mean, Frank didn't find much of it releasable in his lifetime, no. but that doesn't mean that there's not a market to hear it. So... Sure. it's a, it's a, it's interesting and to think that Malcolm McNabb was the trumpet player for that
0: yes <laughs> that's amazing that blows my mind take your clothes off when you dance is the next track and that was released on the lost episodes looks like the same timing Okay so the so the instrumental version that's at the end of uh, side 2 of Lumpy, Lumpy gravy. gravy. Yep.
2: That's not the same thing, right? It is not.
1: But this is the uh would it be appropriate to say the bossa nova version?
2: Yes. Oh, right. Although yeah. oh, that's okay, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So that's Cucamonga.
0: Yes. And I think the one at the end of Lumpy Gravy is uh, Cucamonga also. So it's two different. So it's
2: two different. Okay, got it.
0: Yeah. Back in those days, I believe the song was called Never on Sunday.
2: Yes, yes.
0: And uh, let's see. The side closes out. Side one closes out with Ned and Nelda, which is just Hey Nelda, which was from the single released on the Vega label. It's Ray and Frank as Ned and Nelda. But for some reason... Frank only saw fit to include one minute and 18 seconds of it trimming off an entire minute for some reason. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. just a really weird, arbitrary thing. Okay, moving on to side two, we've got the main title theme from Run Home Slow, main title music. So we're in like Mystery Disc world now, right? Yes, Mm -hmm. and most of this material would have been released on Mystery Disc. Uh, Duke of Prunes, also released on Mystery Disc in the uh, pretty much same timing. Opening Night Party at Studio Z, uh, slightly longer by 15 seconds from its appearance on Mystery Disc. Yeah, and there's a lot of
2: tape of that night. You know, with them sitting around the piano, singing, jamming, having fun, being silly. Yes. The collage is Frank's edit of that, and so that's cool. But there's so many other outtakes from that. So.
0: Yeah, there's a piece that was part of the sequence that he played to David Wally in 71 that we've come to know as the memo because it's obviously a parody of the medallion song, The Letter. And, you know, we come to know it as The Memo. I'm not sure if that actually has a title, but at one point, Frank considered releasing that. Oh, wow. Just worth putting that out there. Uh, let's see. Moving on here. Uh, group introductions at the Village Inn. Ladies and gentlemen,
2: do you like the band? And we like the band because we don't like you. <laughs> well, little Mary, we like you. And let's give the band another hand. Yeah.
0: Tony, I'm done Frankie Zappo on guitar, and our own
2: Johnny Franklin on bass. Which is, of course, the village. Frankie Zappo. Yeah.
0: Right. Frankie
1: Zappo guitar. I love it. That recording, Joe, it was so interesting because it sounds like, first of all, it's in stereo, and it sounds like he paid attention to, like, I want a really good recording of my guitar, and the rest of the band <laughs> uh, is all on the the other microphone, or whatever. Yeah. the, so other, channel. Thought, the, other, the channel. other channel, yeah, the other yeah, channel, the other channel. Yeah, yeah. So I always thought that was very interesting. Though, like even for these early gigs, he was like, "I want to control my guitar tone." Yep. And also, and also the one part where he he clicks onto the uh, the bridge pickup yes, <laughs> for the and yes. solo.
0: <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, he knew how to get that Ah. tone. Love it. Uh, Um, the next track is Steal Away from the same tape, I believe. Yeah, Um,
2: I I always, you know, when I was listening to the mystery disc way back when, I always wondered why he hung on to that one so long. Like, you know, the whole song is on the mystery disc. Like, there was any track at all that just needed an excerpt instead of the whole thing. (laughs) It was that one, but you know, what's funny is like, I think he really liked his guitar playing on the whole thing like he was literally driving the bus on that yeah I think it was just a trio or something yes guitar based drums so so it literally he's just like he's he's the only guy really playing you know in yeah. that so it's, it's <laughs> probably why he uh it's probably why he included the whole thing
0: it's pretty sharp guitar playing to or sharp guitar playing for right right <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: I was a teenage malt shop.
0: (laughs) Let's see. Next up is I was a teenage malt shop overture um, released in the exact same timing on the mystery disc as I was a teenage malt shop. Okay. So we've got um, status back baby demo is the next one. And that's the one with Allison Buff, Paul's wife singing status back baby. And that was released on mystery disc as the birth of Captain Beefheart, but only the very beginning where Beefheart is talking, you know, reciting those lines from the script. What's interesting here is that when it came to the assemblage of the mystery
2: disc, Frank didn't include as much of this malt shop material as originally edited back in the, you know, late sixties, early seventies, because we have, Teenage Malt Shop Overture, Status Back Baby, and then Ned the Mumbler, and then Toads, all of which, they're still unreleased to this day.
0: Yeah, which which leads us into that, pretty much that sequence. Ned the Mumbler is next, not released, um, was aired along with the Status Back Baby recording on um, the uh, radio show that... Frank and Captain Beefheart radio show. Yes, with voiceover, but in some cases, but, you know, there. Yep. Toads of the Short Forest, same deal. Part of that broadcast also not released. Excerpt from the Uncle Frankie show. Um, this is the same length excerpt that's on the mystery disc, but you found a large amount of stuff from that and put it on Joe's Christmasage.
2: Well, it was a different one. So there were two episodes that he recorded as Uncle Frankie, to my knowledge. The first one was cut up like crazy, and, mm. uh, and that's the, where that excerpt comes from. But the one that's on Joe's Christmasage, he didn't cut that one up. you know wow. what I'm saying? Like like, yeah. like that, that was found intact. I don't think there was that many Uncle Frankie shows. I think there was only a couple.
0: Yeah, he says that he got away with it for a week.: oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's great. could' have been just a couple of days it's possible. But let me ask you this, since we're talking about the the track is on Joe's Christmasage. Um, that version of Charva was that you know where he plays the multi track for that. Yes, that's Charva or Sharva. It actually on
2: some tape spines, it's it's written with an S. Really? So, so it's S H A R V A, and then he changed it to Charva. Yeah. Isn't oh, that crazy? that's funny! Wow.
0: Yeah. yeah. I no idea. <laughs> is that the way it is on that tape? You know, like you didn't edit out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. no no that's the way it is on the tape i just wondered it's a total geeky thing i just wondered. <laughs> then we've got uh charva the actual demo which uh was uh pretty much the same it you know released on the lost episodes of mystery disc same length as yeah it
2: and it ended side one of the mystery disc right it ended side one i thought yes it did yes
0: so so there's that. And then uh, the final track on this side is Speed Freak Boogie. Which began uh,
2: side two of the mystery disc.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, looks like the same timing, so we have it.
2: So we know that the malt shop stuff is uh, not complete on the released, currently released version. So I would have to say that stuff uh, that we have here should be part of a Zappa Beefheart box set, don't you? I completely agree.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because, you know, if I get a request for anything, you know, people are just like, you know, like, can't we have any more of Frank and Beefheart's collaborations? And, you know, there you go. Yes. Because I don't know how much malt shop material there is. There, There might be more than what we've heard or heard about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so you know it, it's just another interesting thing to investigate right. <laughs> so moving on to side three we're, we're still kind of in that mystery disc area metal man has won his wings hoi hoi as yeah that's great career. yeah <laughs> uh, looks like the same timing so it's been issued live jam from the saints and sinners also from mystery disc same timing
2: Okay, so live jam from Saints and Sinners. So, isn't there a long? Uh, there's another. There's an outtake from that, isn't there? On Joe's, Joe's Christmas massage. There is. Yeah. Yeah. So there's. Yeah. So there's some more material from that there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh my
0: god. Um, now this was one that when we first got this document, I had to ask you about, and it's Aztec Metronome Patent Pending.
2: Interesting. Yeah, that doesn't ring a bell at all, and. I don't know if we'll,
0: if we'll ever know what that is. No, actually we do because it was released on Mystery Disc as Bossa Nova pervertimento. Oh, okay. Oh well yeah, is because is
2: that what is that how it's edited together on there and that reflects this edit too?
0: Yep. Ah there you so go. So that was just the original title, Aztec Metronome Patent Pending. That's pretty <laughs> <So>. funny. <laughs> uh Louisiana Blues. Okay, so uh, that's the broadside, right? Yeah, that's the broadside. Original Mothers at the Broadside from Mystery Disc. A little bit longer because you can hear Frank and Ray singing Louisiana Blues, the Muddy Waters tune. Actually, on that Zappa and B. Part broadcast from 75, they sing along with it, which is kind of, you know, that's kind of fun. Party Music from Mondo Hollywood, also released on Mystery Disc. Okay, um, same so that, There's a lot more
2: of that. Um, the, really? the, thing, the whole, the whole, the whole party was recorded. But the thing of it is, is that, and I even talked to Robert Carl Cohen about this, and he knew it. He's the one that gave Frank either the original or a copy, because that was recorded during the filming of Mondo Hollywood. And Robert Carl Cohen was like, "Yeah, it just didn't turn out that well. The, the, you know, the recording." Is basically an ambient recording, and the audience is pretty much louder than the than the band. But there is more to that, and when you know when I hear that stuff, I think to myself, "There's just got to be more outtake film wise."
0: I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah, it's like, where is it? You know, where is it? We we've got all of what five seconds of I actual know. film in the movie. He may not have saved it
2: maybe the audio is all that there is now but you know to think that there would be more outtake footage of the original mothers in 65 during that time is just that would be a dream
0: come true absolute insanity Random Conversation from an early rehearsal tape. This was released um, as original mother's rehearsal on the mystery disc. Much longer on this set, 145 as opposed to 22 seconds. Yeah. Um, We have that from the Zappa part radio broadcast. Yes, we do. Sort of uh, known to collectors as the sandwich song. Once I I had some cheese, made a sandwich. Yeah. That goes into How Can I Be Such a Fool, which is uh, pretty much the same length. I think there's about a 10-second difference between that and its appearance on Mystery Disc. So do you
2: notice that the sequence of events here is very much the same as what ended up being released?
0: Yes. So that's probably where that tape went. Yep. Now, this is where it starts getting really, you know, I mean, not that the other stuff isn't interesting, but this is where it starts getting really deep, man, deep. We've got Boogie for Berkeley" rehearsal. Yes. 1968. What do you know about Boogie for Berkeley"? Okay. So I have found it, uh, but hasn't this, wasn't this bootlegged? It was bootlegged um, 50 seconds
2: of it. Yeah, yeah. There's a bit of it on the, and then Frank just goes away. He's like, oh, that's enough of that, right? On the beef heart thing. Yeah. So this has been found along with the rest of the rehearsal. And this is with Lowell in the band. Wow. So you can hear Frank putting it together, rehearsing uh, the Boogie for Berkeley. And it's a really cool piece that really didn't get morphed into any other pieces of music at that time. So Boogie no. for, for Berkeley is kind of its own thing, which is really interesting. It's like a lost little nugget.
0: Yeah. And he only used 50 seconds of it on that broadcast. He played a two-minute, 58-second version of it to David Wally, but of course, the tape is very lo-fi because it was taped during an interview. But yeah, that's one of the things that we need to hear at some point. <laughs> yeah, man, someday. Now, now the next track is called Fluted with a P, Fluted Transoms, yeah. which I'm assuming is from that same rehearsal.
2: That sounds like it because the, the previous two tracks are from that rehearsal, so that means that there's more on that reel-to-reel. Of stuff and so either he edited it out and put it onto another reel or it would still be on that same exact reel wow so we it would just be a really just a matter of listening to the whole thing and uh, documenting it putting it in a database and
0: uh, finding all the best parts of it oh yeah it's the ultimate frank zappa puzzle yes and then uh, let's see we've got i'm not satisfied excerpt from the original demo 29 seconds We have a couple of demos of that. Yes,
2: but okay. So this is, yeah. So there was a demo that was recorded, I believe, during the last days of Cucamonga before the raid. Oh, wow. Unless it was recorded somewhere else. I don't know, man. I don't know. But uh, I'm not satisfied is from that. And is that also on Joe's corsage?
0: Not this version. This was played to David Wally during that interview a whopping 18 seconds, but on the album here, it's only 29 seconds. So yeah.
2: Yeah. Because Frank cut it up like crazy. He didn't, he didn't save it. it's it's literally in pieces on reels. Uh, So goodness enough for me, not to even be able to have enough to put it back together because there's just not enough there. So uh, God knows what happened to the original tape, but this excerpt is probably the same length of the uh, tape that I did find in the vault so Mm -hmm. yeah
1: Mm
0: -hmm. now wasn't there a version of i'm not satisfied that was sort of kind of released on zappa.com god years ago there was might be this it could be that yes yes interesting have to ab that sucker i forgot about (laughs) that
2: on zappa.com so yeah
0: i I grabbed it so i have it yep so that's probably this (laughs) okay then we get into two tracks that were we know were released on uh, Mystery Disc, the band introduction to the Fillmore West and Plastic People and what is uh, referred to as Raga Item, which is probably the guitar solo.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah that's got to be that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it looks like those are the same timings pretty much. So, So nothing unused there. And um, I hope I'm saying this right. left za right is the next track. Or left ze right Could be left ze right Yeah, uh, That was be. released as original mo- uh, Mothers at Fillmore East in approximately the same timing. And then something that, okay, it's called the first choral rehearsal excerpt. And on this annotated list, it says that this was possibly released or not released, but uh, played to David Wally during that interview as part of the Mothers at Fillmore East track. So that's a great mystery because the song is labeled a rehearsal, but it could also be a live track. And just that's what Frank called it.
2: Well, describe. Can you describe what what you've heard? Like, what do you what, what's going on there?
0: Yeah, it's like conducted hand signals, you know, vocal bits, you know, like, uh, you know, You know, that kind of thing. It's basically just improv, but it's uh, that's my recollection of it. So there's nothing particularly choral about it. (laughs) But it's only a short little thing anyway. Now, side four of this set was released uh, on bootleg as side two of We Are the Mothers and This is What We Sound Like. So we have the whole thing. The old MOI interview on KPFK that was released as mothers at KPFK. I think it's the timings the same. Okay, good. That could be considered as the master Frank Zappa edit of that, you know, because it's
2: yes, it's very consistent.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's got to be there's got to be more of it. I'm sure. Oh, I found the tapes. Did you?
2: Yeah, but I've never transferred them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. One day. Someday. Their day is coming. Um. You were talking about the Lowell George guitar solo before. That's Special Metal Teeth, the next track.
2: Okay, so that's had multiple titles on reels of tape. Uh, You know, Lowell's solo is one title that I've seen. Uh, It's funny that Frank only took one of his guitar solos and isolated it. It's like the only
0: (laughs) one. The only one that maybe could have been released. so funny. Oh, my God. You know what's funny about the title Special Metal Teeth? Doesn't that come up during the... uh, the Hot Rat Sessions. Yeah. I think yeah. Yeah, Frank it was says a, that to one of the drummers, I think.
2: Just like the Mad Gummer. It's one of those kind of inside jokes, like like with Motorhead or something like that.
0: Um, Roy's Ecstasy and Encore. This has been released, kind of cut up on different projects. So um, we have on on the unreleased set, the 1972 set, a four-minute, nine-second edit of it. It was released in part as Squeeze It, Squeeze It, Squeeze It on the Mystery Disc. That's two minutes 57 seconds. You can't do that on stage anymore. Volume 5 has a five-minute, seven-second edit that incorporates part of that. And Finer Moments has a three-minute 20-second version of (laughs) Squeeze It, Squeeze It, Squeeze It. There you go. Yep. yep. (laughs) Another classic example of How these things evolve. Then we've got Kung Fu, which was released as the end of the extended version of Did You Get Any Anya from the CD version, the original CD version Mm -hmm. of uh, Weasel's Rip My Flesh. Yeah, and that's live in Philadelphia. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because if you look at the Artisan Acetate from the 19, what we think is the 1969 set, several of those tracks are from Philadelphia. Do those tapes still exist? Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Moving on, because, you know, now I'm super intrigued. Um, (laughs) uh, The original Igor's Boogie, not released.
2: That's not released, right? That's live in Philly. That's definitely in the vault.
0: Okay. Uh, Then we've got Bunk's Tenor Execution, which uh, apparently, oh, yeah, was definitely released as part of King Kong on ahead of their time. Then we've got Halloween and Dusseldorf that also turns up on the Weasel music acetate from the nineteen sixty-nine set. Okay. But otherwise
2: is unreleased. Okay. And then well, what happens is, is that Halloween and Dusseldorf on some of the tapes that I found in the vault, that cuts directly into um what ended up being released and called Harmonica Fun on the Yes on Mystery Disc 2, I believe, or something so um yeah so so halloween and dusseldorf cuts into that so what it means to me is that it's possible that it's actually just more of that crazy improv that was recorded i believe at criteria i think that's in the studio so it's Mm -hmm, more of that uh before it's it's actually happened it happens before uh the edit that starts harmonica fun so it's like it so it precedes harmonica fun
0: okay so that takes care of the territory that we are kind of familiar with and now we start getting into the weeds here
2: <laughs> we're still on volume one guys so uh we are yeah. still on volume yeah. one we're getting there that's amazing now let's just talk about that for just one second mm. side five of volume one yeah. it's like <laughs> this is only volume one man this is massive
0: I oh man it's so massive <laughs> yeah. It's such a huge thing. And, you know, we're only now getting into the part where, you know, there's a lot of unreleased material. So it gets even geekier now. (laughs) Jumping into side five, we've got the opener being a pound for a brown on the bus, old MOI, which would be the 60s mother's invention. Um, but there's no other information, so we don't know what that is.
2: My my guess is okay. so no, keep this in mind, guys. Okay. Yes, Frank seemed to, even though this is really diving into like the you know the real oddity type tapes. You can tell that Frank never really prioritized that many of the straight to two track stuff that Dick Kunk you know recorded. Weasels Rip yep. My Flesh has some of it, but you know Frank usually always prioritized the multi-track recordings first. Mm-hmm. So, if we take that in mind, Pound for a Brown on the Bus, Old Mothers of Invention, which means that it's going to be the 60s Mothers and, you know, the new Mothers of Invention that he talks about in this side, that was going to be the Flo and Eddie Mothers. Okay, yep, yep. so, so if it's Old Mothers of Invention and it says Pound for a Brown on the Bus, my guess is it's probably, you know, an excerpt Festival from Hall? the Festival Hall show. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Exa- or, it could be from the Royal Albert Hall show oh, which was recorded yes. which yes. was recorded on four track so festival hall and royal albert hall were both recorded on four track so you know it could be from that who knows
0: now when this document became available to us was a, a couple years back And at this time, this set that I'm about to reference here was not released yet. Um, So the next two tracks are "Sleeping in a Jar" and "Sword Act." New Moi. It's it's labeled. Apparently, these were released on the Mother's 1970 as uh, "Sleeping in a Jar" and is it Beloit or yeah Beloit? Beloit Yeah, that was the
2: city. Yeah. Now the thing is, is that you know that I don't think that it was the only time that they ever did the Sword Act but as far as i have found it's the only time so it's more than likely that that's what it is
1: sometimes in the middle of the night you get to and wish you were feeling all right and you know you're white and you ain't got no soul um tiny sick cookie
0: jar now of course we know that as tiny sick tears volume 4 right from volume 4 you can't do that on stage anymore and we also have on the artisan test pressing from 6970 uh, we have a three minute eleven second edit of that, but that's you know that would incorporate all of the material that was on uh, stage four. So, meanwhile, is the next track, and it's labeled New Moi. Any idea?
2: No, but we obviously know that it's the flow in any mothers. So that could be that could be anything.
0: Four minutes forty two seconds. Yeah, it literally could be anything. Wow, it's long too. So it is. Jeez. And then the other kind of Igor's boogie, New Moi. Didn't they quote Igor's boogie in King Kong? They did, yeah. They played it like I think after the break in between that and the solos, yes.
2: And so since it's long, my guess is is that it's one of those performances with a guitar solo, you know, after it.
0: Okay, so moving on to side six. It starts off with a two minute nine second Ooh. piece called Shirley Ann, which I think you yes, know about. I do.
2: <laughs> so here's the thing. This stuff that is listed on this side comes from an album that Frank put together with Dick Kunk because it's Dick Kunk's handwriting on the side, an album and it's called ever shall it be, which is the short version of the title. There is a longer version of it. And, um, this is one of the sides that was created for that record. And that record was a multi-side record as well. Really? Wow. Yeah, so what Frank is doing is basically taking one side from that project and incorporating it into this project. Oh, wow. Everything that you see here is Fillmore East, 68.
0: There's a note on this on the annotated version of the list that says, see notes on Fillmore East, February 22nd, 1969. Oh, uh, that it's early 69 then. Yeah. Okay. Who or what is Shirley Ann, may I ask? Well, Shirley
2: Ann uh, was, well, I don't know what her name was, but uh, if that was really was her name, but they had literally met her uh, backstage right before the downbeat of the show, really? which, by the way, was a very late show. Mm-hmm. They they played very late during those engagements at the Fillmore East during that time. But anyway, the show starts with Frank bringing her out and doing an improvisation. and And he just did his hand signals and directed the band around her. There is the tapes for these, but they're cut up because what you see here, the two minutes and nine seconds on this was Frank excerpting the parts that he liked and moving it to a build reel. And that's what ended up becoming this. So all the stuff that's left is still there on the main main tape.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so did you find the edit? Well, it's on Ever Shall It Be, right? That's right. Hey. The next track we know of as Are You Upset from uh, Stage 4. You can't do that on Stage Anymore, Volume 4. Here it's labeled That's the Nicest Thing Anybody Said to Me All Day. It's just a... And it's five minutes, so... Three minutes longer almost. And it's all fillmore East stuff. Then we go on to another Fillmore track, Dead Air, which is uh, that... Bit of silence that they would uh, they would do just to piss the audience off every now and then. Didn't Frank reference this in the uh, Circus
2: Crone shows of nineteen seventy
0: eight? yes, he said. And now, yeah, <laughs> La- and he says last performed at the Fillmore East. <laughs> there you so, go. There you go. <laughs> And then we get a 13-minute, 23-second version to close out the side of right there, which I guess would be criteria, right? Mm, No, what I think it
2: is is, you know, right there is basically the source of that is a tape that was recorded underneath Bunk Gardner's bed as (laughs) he was, you know, having fun with a a friend.
0: A succulent young lady with a taste for the bizarre.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And that tape was used around improvisations during multiple live shows so i don't think this i mean it could be a mixture of live cutting into studio Mm -hmm. it could be just the fillmore east performance this whole side could be all fillmore east
0: okay so so final thoughts on the set of the three volumes of the 1972 iteration of History on Collected Improvisations of the Mothers of Invention, folks, this would be the easiest to assemble. That would be fair to say. I think that most of
2: the material that we've talked about is, is identifiable. There's not that many tracks that we don't know what it is.
0: And when there has been questions about this, like, say, the Shirley Ann recording and thing, you already know what those are. So, you know, and probably in those same edits would be you know like available to us as part of ever shall it be so that we know is doable except for a little thing like meanwhile or whatever right. that could be anything exactly
2: it's really amazing it's amazing to think that frank was using so much of this stuff as building blocks so early on and that it didn't even get released until the end of his life which yeah. is just so crazy it's really great that he had the opportunity to start going back and dealing with vault material and you know releasing records like the mystery disc and lost episodes and things like that, because uh it did finally give an opportunity for this type of stuff to finally you know live out there in the marketplace
1: so Joe, what percentage do you think you could find the original mixes for all for <laughs> oh a lot of it a lot oh of
2: yeah it. definitely yeah i could I could definitely do that it's a lot of work, but uh, and, and there may be even some things that uh, haven't been transferred yet that I don't even know about that. Some of that missing stuff or, or even the original versions like the original source tape untreated may not yet be transferred. You know what I'm saying? Like I might, yeah. Yeah. might not have even got to some of that yet, but most of that stuff that we talked about in this episode, um, I'm very, I am familiar with and I do remember either eyeballing the actual tape or Transferring it, that stuff has been moved onto other tapes, and those other tapes that it now lives on, I definitely got my hands on and transferred at some point. So I don't see it being that much of a daunting task to try to get all this stuff. But then again, you also have to realize that as much as we are obsessing about this, what would the market be? It's like, it would be, I mean, this stuff's already out there. Maybe vinyl only. Like, actually, what if we actually did a vinyl box set of this? Oh, vinyl only God. exclusive
1: ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen that's the sound of joe travers throwing all of us a bone
2: <laughs> I, i'm i'm very excited about this deep dive uh it's really kind of like an eye-opener to see the amount of material that frank actually really did get a chance to release or prepare for release i think that sequence of events from the first side to the last side for all of volume one is a pretty cool interesting journey sonic journey of historical elements yeah if if it was all put together in order at this original well not original but this vision of sequence in time that it actually would play pretty damn well. And, you know, it's got Frank Zappa written all over it, the way it goes from one (laughs) to the other. It's pretty amazing. I'm enjoying this. I'm looking forward to uh, doing a deep dive on the next few volumes because we're going to be running across a lot of stuff that either we're not going to know what the hell it is Mm -hmm. or you might not know, but I might know. Yes!
1: (laughs) ZappaCast, the official Frank Zappa podcast, is created by and is hosted by Scott Parker. Our producer is Phil Circus. For the latest Zappa news and more, visit Zappa.com. We're also on Instagram and Twitter at, at Zappa. Until next time, good night, boys, boys and girls.